Hey, it's Chris Jones with The Jones Zone, and I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hey, real quick, before we get started, I have a favor to ask. If you've listened to the podcast before, or if you enjoy the episode you're about to hear, please like the podcast on social media, and please leave a review. Having listeners like and review the podcast is the fastest way for it to grow and reach more people, and we really want to share our stories with the biggest audience possible. Thank you. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Jones Own Real Estate Team. That's right. We sponsor our own podcast. So if you know of anyone looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest in residential real estate in the Charlotte, Fort Mill, Rock Hill area, have them connect with us on their favorite platform. Enjoy the show. It's Chris and Brian Jones, your real estate advocates, community connectors, talking Charlotte and York County area real estate, and interviewing business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast. Do you mind counting me down? No. Three? Sure. Tell me go ahead, John. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast. You nailed it. Man, it goes so much smoother when my brother isn't here to count me down. He normally counts me down, and I can't help but interrupt him. It just turns into this huge thing. He's like, why'd you interrupt me? And, uh, but it's, it's almost like a shtick at this point because it's just like, you know, banter, I guess, between the things. So. Um, how's your day been? It's been great. I had a great day. Nice to come down to Fort today. Mill. Fort Mill, South Carolina, from up from the Lake Norman area. So yeah. uh, about an hour drive. Happy to be here. Though. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, all right, let's get into it. John Bradford. Man, he's got a lot of stuff going on. The founder and CEO of Park Properties LLC, which is a property management group. He's the membership co-chair of the Charlotte chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. He's in the North Carolina House of Representatives. And he's the founder of PetScreening.com, which is a software tool that gives property managers the ability to provide greater diligence for pets and assistance animals. John Bradford, welcome to the Jones Zone. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Give your brother my best. I will. Tell him thank you for serving. Yes, yes. (laughs) So that was a brief, quick introduction, yeah. man, but if you don't mind, just share some of your personal story and a little bit of your professional background and then how you got started with all the things you're, yeah, you're sure. doing now. Yeah, so uh, let's see. I, uh, I'm an in, uh, First of all, if you have any listeners that are Clemson Tigers, I'm a Clemson alum, so go Tigers. Oh, man, I'm, I'm a Gamecocks alum. Oh, it's all, oh awesome. Well, listen, I, I like the Gamecocks. I just don't like you when you're playing Clemson. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, uh, my wife got her master's from South Carolina, but got her undergrad from Clemson. Nice. So. My wife's getting her master's. Uh, at USC as well. Very good. So uh, I have an engineering degree from Clemson and uh, used to be an environmental engineer for ExxonMobil and uh, got an MBA and then went to IBM for 10 years in sales and really always loved real estate. So I started taking my bonus money as a sales guy from IBM and started buying tangible assets. I just liked that idea of being able to touch something. So I started buying rental houses and that's when Park Avenue Properties was born, which is a third party management company. And we manage thousands of rental houses for investors in a handful of cities in the Southeast. We're in Raleigh, Atlanta, Charlotte, Myrtle Beach, Jacksonville, Florida, and a few other cities. Um, And I own that company. I have about 30 fabulous employees who run it without me because it really runs without me because I spend a fair amount of time in Raleigh, as you alluded to. I also have a political career. I'm in my sixth year of political service. Started off as a town councilman for the great town of Cornelius up at Lake Norman. And uh, then I ran for the North Carolina House, which is District 98. And I'm in my going into my fourth year serving in the House of Representatives. But you represent Mecklenburg, right? Yeah, I represent the northern part of Mecklenburg. I have like Highland Creek, Skybrook. I have everything in Mecklenburg County. 
because Skybrook's bifurcated by Mecklenburg and Cabarrus. So I have everything in Mecklenburg, and then I have about half of Huntersville. I have all of Coordinates, and I have all of Davidson. There's about 100, well, maybe 95,000 people in my district. And, uh, and I'm the deputy majority whip, and I also am the chairman of reg reform and local government. So I have a real, as a business guy, being a reg reform chairman is a great fit for me because I'm just trying to get government out of the way of business owners. You and your brother can appreciate that. And hopefully yeah. your listeners can too. Man, so that's a lot to take in. Where, where are you from? Uh, Somerville, South Carolina, okay, which is just outside. Where you grew up? Yeah, just right outside of Charleston. Okay. That's home for me. And so you went, you went to Clemson. I did, yeah. You started... Uh, at IBM, where did you start first? Uh, Exxon Mobil. Exxon Mobil. What did you do there? Uh, environmental engineer. Okay. So what does that mean? What well, I, you know, I was in charge of uh, underground. When you go to a gas station, your gas comes from tanks that are buried yeah. below the concrete. I was in charge of, uh, back when I worked for them, they were steel tanks. And we had to replace every steel tank in America with fiberglass tanks. Oh my so my job gosh. was to make sure when they pulled these steel tanks, if they had rusted through and if gasoline had leaked into the groundwater and soil, we had to come in and clean it up. So that's what I did. So I basically did a hydrocarbon impact, they called it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then you got into sales with IBM. Yeah, I got an MBA. I went to IBM in sales. What got you interested in buying rental properties? I mean, what? I just think for a guy like me, I'm a very hands-on guy. So I don't want to read a set of instructions. I actually yeah. want to take something apart and then put it back together versus read how to take it apart. Uh, and the idea of being able to buy uh, an asset that had leveraged future earnings and I could actually go and... I mean, I have pressure wash houses, I've painted houses, I've put pine straw out. I mean, I, I'm no stranger to being a handy guy. And so uh, there's something therapeutic about it. And that's how I got into it. And I just, I love real estate. Now, did you, did you buy any of these to flip or did you pretty much? I did both. I, yeah. I did both. I flipped a fair number of houses. And then I also have kept a fair number as rentals uh, because, I mean, I believe, I mean, I believe there's no greater way, way to build wealth besides owning real assets, right? And, and, and I, trust me, the stock market has its place. But I'm not completely levered in one. I think owning yeah. stock market stuff and having real assets is, is a good maneuver. So how did you go from buying your first one to now not even really being in the day-to-day operation? How well, long ago was that? Well, so, well, I've been in the legislature. I'm going on my fourth year. So I really turned over the wheel a full three years ago. Uh, I have two executives that run the company. I have a full-time legal counsel and vice president. His name's Brad. And then I have a young lady that's been with me for almost as long as we've been open, and she's a senior VP. So I like to say in the cockpit, I have two pilots, right? Yeah. And the way I run the company, or the way they run the company is if they don't agree on something, then they come to me for the tie. Uh, in three years, they've never had to come to me. That's so awesome. That tells you they yeah. did it worked out. Um, but, you know, and of course, they have a great team, uh, you know, running the company, because, I mean, you can't do it. The two of them can't do it, right? Um, but... I would just tell you that I went from a guy owning a few houses to where we are today just because when, you, when you're an investor and an entrepreneur and you know how to manage a house and you've managed your own house, it, it's an easy um, story to tell another investor that I'm going to take care of your house like it's my house because guess what? My company does take care of my house, right? And so from there, we just grew through the years. And we've, you know, we've grown. We've been as high as 3,600 houses we've managed. We, were, we helped most of the institutional investors that came to town. Um, all of them have kind of consolidated and they're doing it on their own, but we helped get them to where they were. So, you know, we've ridden a lot of business cycles. It's been a fun ride. I feel like we're industry leaders. We use technology. Um, I don't know. It's been, it's been fun. My IBM background, I think, really shined through when I came to the industry and started looking at cloud software. No one knew what I was talking about yeah. in the industry. They were like, what do you mean cloud software? Now, at IBM, we, that we, you know, we obviously were talking about cloud technology, but in property management, 
which historically in single family residential, a lot of small firms, fragmented firms, not a lot of people knew what that meant. And so when I remember when the first iPad came out, there was a waiting list and I was able to get eight of them because I, I took friends and paid for them because I needed that many for my staff. So my team was one of the first teams probably in the industry to be using iPads in the field to do walkthroughs and things like that. So we've always been a big technology leader, I think, in property management. So then how do you, so now your clients consist of who? Investors that yeah, own yeah, properties? Same, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have, I mean, we have people that have one house because they, like, they'll use a guy like you or your brother and they'll say, hey, I want to go buy an investment property. And you'll say, I'll tell you what. I don't want to manage it, but I'll help you find a good deal. So we work with realtors in all the markets that we do and because we don't do general brokerage. We only do property management. And a lot of general brokers shouldn't be doing property management because you, it's hard to be an expert at a couple yeah, of things, right? Yeah. So we've built our expertise around property management by working with brokers. So if someone calls me tomorrow and says, I want to go buy an investment asset, we'll try to refer them to a, a good broker who does good investment work. They'll go find them the house. We'll do the management. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So uh, now, now you're doing that. What made you want to get into politics and stuff? And well, I, you know, I think all my life, I mean, in high school and middle school, high school, I was always a class officer. I, I think at one point, so I'm, of course, from South Carolina. So I went to Boys State and I just, you know, my grandfather from 1947 to 51, my grandfather served in South Carolina House of Representatives, which had already happened. Right. I, I was, I'm a child of the mid 70s <clears> just to date myself. But um I never really fully understood what he did until the mid 80s, you know, when I was 10 or 11 years old, started learning about government. And I don't know, just somewhere along the way, I said, yeah, I think I want to do that someday. Yeah. And then I did. And here what I am doing it. What do you guys actually do for people that aren't sure what the House of Representatives actually Well, does? I mean, you know, I, listen, I'm a, anyone that knows me knows I'm a very hands-on representative. I try to live up to the word. So, um, I'm a, first of all, I'm, a, I'm not an attorney. There's a lot of attorneys in Raleigh, and, and we need attorneys, but I don't think every lawmaker should be an attorney. So, you know, I, I'm a business guy. I, I came from business. I'm an entrepreneur. So, I, I like to have the attorneys help write the language. I like to advise like this is what I think we need it to say because it's yeah. easy to outword yourself right um, and a lot of my f colleagues are attorneys and I respect them and I think they respect me for bringing my entrepreneurship to the house um, you know we're in Raleigh quite a bit I have constituents come up and see me I give capital tours um, you know but we do a lot of good work in Raleigh you know we do a lot of things that never make the newspaper because it's not juicy yeah uh, Democrats and Republicans we do work together well in many cases um, and there are some issues where we d totally disagree but the reality is North Carolina, I don't know if you saw Forbes just rate us, the number one city to do business in. I mean, we finally beat Texas. We were number two for years. We are now number one. We have almost $2 billion in reserves. Our tax rate is the lowest it's ever been. Our unemployment rate is the lowest it's ever been. So from a fiscal position, North Carolina is really on the right track. And I really credit it to, I think, good, reasonable, fiscal, conservative leadership. Yeah, that's amazing. What's your title in the House of Representatives? So I'm the Deputy Majority Whip. Um, and then they call me a chairman just because I have a chairman status of, of a couple of committees. Uh, Did you, have you ever seen the Seinfeld episode where <laughs> they're talking about that? Uh, I think Jerry says something about a whip, and he asks, oh. <laughs> he asks Kramer what, it, what what a whip is, and Kramer's like, oh, that's because like back in the olden days they would say, you need to do what we're telling you to do or we're going to whip you. <laughs> well, I can assure you the whip role has changed uh, because as a whip... What's, my, my, what, what's, what, what is a whip? So a whip, yeah, yeah, sure. No, it's a great question. Um, every party has a whip. So, um, and you know, the Democrats have a whip in the House, and the Republicans have a whip. Um, the reason I'm the majority whip is because the party I'm in is in the majority, and then the minority has a minority whip. But a whip's role is really just to understand where everybody in your party, uh, for your colleagues, where they stand on an issue. 
It's not to force them to vote a certain way, but it's your responsibility to know how they're going to vote. And then you do a whip count to see where the votes are. And you can very quickly determine if you have enough votes to get something to pass. And if some people are not are uncertain how they're going to vote, it's a whip's job to say, okay, would you like to talk to somebody who's an expert in this area to help you make your decision and try to foster those relationships? When I, you know, I guess wanted to, to take this role, if you will, um, I never intended to be a guy that's telling someone how to vote. You have to vote the way you want to vote. But I do want to know where you stand. Yeah. And that's really what a whip, a good whip, I think, does that. Yeah. Have you um, introduced any bills? I guess you do that all the time. Yeah, lots of bills. And that's my job. But I, (laughs) I mean, I don't, you know, I don't do bills just for the sake of doing them. I mean, earlier we talked about, I I did a bill called Utility Billing Lessor, House Bill 799, a very common sense bill needed to be done. It allows housing providers to keep the utilities in their name. In North Carolina, we have an oligopoly for utility system, which basically is a legalized monopoly, meaning we have a regulated system. We're not, a, we're not a deregulated state when it comes to utilities. Well, that means a utility commission. And under our statutes, if you wanted to leave the utilities in your name and you had a third-party tenant, if you're going to bill them back, it made it seem like you were a utility company, when really you're not. You're just the owner of the asset. So I went and passed some legislation to clarify that so that owners of multiple properties, whether it be apartments or big investors, can keep the utilities in their name and just bill back the utilities to the tenants. And the reason that's important is because when they move out, it takes a long time to turn utilities back into your name. And every day you're down and can't get in to get it cleaned and punched out is lost money. So the providers want to keep it in their name so that when someone moves out, they can send their crews in the next day and they're not waiting on the utility order. And when there's gas involved and water and electricity, gas cannot come on until water and electricity comes on. So it's easy to get yourself in a cycle where it's all messed up. So it's a good common sense bill. I've done several others. I mean, I, you know, the brunch bill, if you heard of that, we're now, oh man, you got to, the brunch bill? Yeah, we call it the brunch bill. This is uh, my bill in the house. And um, of course, a lot of people helped me on it. I'm not trying to take credit, but I mean, this is a bill that was, I was the primary sponsor. In North Carolina, you could only start buying beer and liquor and wine at noon on Sunday. Yeah. So I went and ran a bill. Senator Gunn on the Senate side had a companion bill and we ran a bill that moved the time up to 10 a.m. On Sundays, and the reason that's important is you have Panthers that play at noon yeah. and 1 p.m. on Sundays. If you went to a grocery store on Sunday morning, you couldn't even buy a Not case of beer. You couldn't. Yeah. So now you can. Now restaurants can open up at 10 and serve a Bloody Mary or a mimosa. Retailers can sell. It's a. It was actually a really big that's deal. That's amazing. And yeah. uh, I'm very proud of that one because while I'm not a huge drinker, this isn't about drinking. This is about just common sense business stuff. And we have a lot of people coming in from Fort Mill into North Carolina to see yeah. the Panthers play. You stop at the food line or the Harris Teeter at 11:30 to buy beer, and you can't. You have to wait 30 minutes, and you got to get to your tailgate spot. So that needed to change, and we changed it. And that was a real heavy lift, believe it or not. We have a lot of rural areas in North Carolina that don't believe in that, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. But for urban areas. It's just a matter of business and yeah. economics, and we were able to get that bill passed. So that's why I'm real proud of it. Was called the, we called it, the, it was another title, but it was called the brunch bill. We had a hashtag free the mimosa. Oh, I love it, man. <laughs> well, congrats Thank on that. you. That's Thank really you. good, man. I know a lot of people appreciate that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the Entrepreneur's Organization, man. Touch on that a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, EO.org. Uh, it's, an, it's a global organization. It's based out of Washington, D.C. Um, it's for entrepreneurs. An entrepreneur under EO is defined as somebody who is a majority owner of their company or at least 50% owner uh, because you have to be the entrepreneur. Um, and you have to, there's a certain minimum revenue threshold to qualify. And, I, and it's a million dollars. You have to, no, I'm not about profits, I'm not about revenues. So if you're doing a million dollars of revenues through your books and you own a majority of the company, 
then you would qualify to be a, a, a candidate of EO. You go through an application process. We have a Charlotte EO chapter. You can just Google Charlotte EO. It's probably charlotteeo.org. I don't, I don't know the website. Okay. Plan. And we have probably over 100 EOers here, and they're all business owners in different industries. We have manufacturing. We have marketing. We have attorneys. I mean, but these are what I would say very successful entrepreneurs because it's hard to get to a million dollars in revenue as a small business yeah. owner. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Um, but we all have similar problems. You, you don't sell to each other. You come together once a month. It's a great group. Um, and for me, I've used it like my board of directors for the last six, seven years. Yeah. Because we all have the same problems. We might be in different industries, but rest assured, we are facing the same problems. Yeah. If you it's have, amazing if how you have works. employees and yeah. people working for you. And yeah, all yeah, yeah. And I'm no longer on that board. I was on the board, but with my political career, I did have to give some things up. But they're, I'm still in the group. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into pet screening. Yeah, pet screening. I love it, man. Yeah, this what, is awesome, man. How, this is your baby. Right? This, let me tell you something. You know, every every now and then, life, you know, you come across something that's gonna just be a, a winner, and I think we have one. I'm excited. It's it's petscreening.com, a very very easy domain, petscreening.com. What pet screening is is it's a it's a service offering. It's a software product, but we help housing providers. So this could be apartment communities. Um, investors of houses like what I do at, over at Park Avenue it could be student housing it could be retirement housing vacation housing anyone that has a house that they're renting to someone else they are probably dealing with what we call the two P's they deal with people and they deal with pets mm -hmm. those are the two things that can cause property damage um, I believe I love pets but not all pets are equal and not all pet owners are equal because they don't take care of their pets the same way and pet screening helps housing providers screen through the pet and we um, are basically collecting a lot of information about not only the pet, but about the owner's care of the pet. And we have built a very complex algorithm, which took us literally months and hours to build. Um, and it's really working really, really well. But what we do is when the application is processed, very similar to a credit score for a human, we give a pet score on that particular pet back to the housing provider. Out of what, one to ten? Or? No, we use this. It's like a Google review, one okay. to five stars, but we do one to five paws. So it's very simple. So <laughs> cool. a five paw pet is a very, very good pet. That'd be, a, and that would probably be the cheapest pet deposit, the cheapest pet rent you're going to have, because it's hard to get a five paw pet. But when we get them, that means it's a good one, um, and it goes all the way down to a one paw. And the the tool never accepts or declines pets. We let housing providers decide how they're going to move ahead with a pet. Yeah. We just provide a score, the and the score is bingo. Yeah. It's all about information. Knowledge is power. Um, it's working incredibly well. It's getting shot records, photos, microchip records. We ask a ton of questions. If you're an investor, in a, if you have a rental house or a vacation rental, this is a no-brainer to use because, number one, it doesn't cost you a penny. It doesn't cost a housing provider a nickel but you're gonna get a report back that's gonna help you better understand what you're dealing with and help you figure out how much to charge. We don't tell you what to charge, but you can set your own policies on how much you're gonna charge based on the score. And you don't even have to charge more, maybe you just keep it for your own information. The point is, it really helps owners of housing and real assets decide do you want to rent to this pet or not? And if so, what are the risk factors with this pet? And it, what's that risk factor worth to you? And how much are you going to charge for it? Um, the beauty for the pet owner is they get a portable product that they can use in other facets of their life. So I'll, I'll pick on yeah, yeah. So, so let, let's pick on my wife, for example. My wife and I, right? We love to camp. We have a camper. We go camping. I grew up doing it. You, campgrounds are always pet friendly. But more and more campgrounds, Chris, want to see a rabies certificate when you check in. 
Well, if you have a, if you have this, if you've used this tool, you can log into the tool, go to your pet profile, and you can forward your pet profile to the campground with one click and an email address, and that campground will get your pet profile, and it will share everything about your pet with the with the campground. If you put in your rabies certificate, they're going to see that shot records. They're going to see photos. They're going to see microchip. So you can imagine the power for a responsible pet owner, how this really would help them. Um, we really built it for housing providers, but I just want to point out there's a real benefit to the pet owner as well. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, you got VRBO, you've got oh, Airbnb, Airbnb you've all got that. veterinary clinics. I mean, uh, yeah, this thing's it's, got yeah, huge it, potential. There's, there's some really neat, um, I think, additional ways to use the product. The other that thing that's really neat is if you're a housing provider and a person moves in, let's say January 1, and they have a pet, and you accept them and you have their pet profile, and let's say it comes back a four-paw pet, and you charge them you know, a little bit more than you did a five paw, whatever, they're moving in. Let's say come June, something happens and you get a report of a pet bite where that dog went and bit somebody. You could now log into the tool, go to that pet and log a pet bite incident and that bite history will follow that dog and that owner forever. That's powerful because we're creating the first nationwide database of pet incidents. And it's not just bites. Imagine that same scenario, but now we're at the end of the lease and they move out and it was a cat. And the cat urinated so much that the unit stinks to high heaven and you have to spend $1,500 to replace all the carpet and pad. Yeah. And trust me, that happens. Yeah, oh yeah. I you know. can log into the tool, go to that cat profile, make a property damage incident, describe what happened, and that history will follow that cat. Because we follow it with the microchip if there is one. We follow it based on the last known address, the owner's name, the pet's name. And now if that owner of that pet went to another property and they apply and they want a pet profile, when it comes up, it's going to show a possible match of history around that cat. And it will show how much of the, of the data points match. So we're really creating a tool that for responsible pet owners, they're going to love it because mm -hmm. they're never going to have issues about their pet. They can prove they what can they can prove. And now imagine a reluctant vacation rental owner and you're like, look, not only is my pet a good dog, but let me forward to my pet profile and you'll see there's no history of anything with my pet. And now that vacation for rent owner might say, okay, well, I'll take you, but I'll charge you an extra $100 for the weekend for your pet. A pet owner will gladly pay it oh, yeah. because they're going to spend that in boarding fees. Yeah. So we think we're revolutionizing the way housing providers look at pets and think about pit bulls. You might have some listeners right now that have a guard dog breed. I do not believe fundamentally that all guard dog breeds are bad. The problem is, statistically speaking, these are high-risk animals. A lot of firms have a flat, no guard dog breed policy. We are seeing how the tool is being used by housing providers to now be open to considering guard dogs because if it's a guard dog breed but it has a microchip, it has all its shots, it has photos, it has no history of biting, it has no history of quarantine, biting another animal, the pet owner answered all the right questions about how their care of the pet, from picking up ways to keeping it on a leash, etc. And it got a good, and it got a, a good, well, a, a guard dog breed is always going to get a low score because it's a guard dog breed. Well, which ones are the dog guard breeds? Well, there's a lot. We have a German Shepherds. Those are the Rottweilers, Dover right. Pinchers, you know, any of the Mastiff breeds, Siberian Huskies. I mean, there's a whole list of them. But it's like children. Children are a product of their environment. Pets are a product of right. their environment. The point is the tool is helping housing providers reconsider how they handle guard dog breeds because if it has all the other information in a good way and the only thing about it is the fact it's a guard dog breed, you might now be willing to rent to it, but you're actually going to, you'll charge more for sure. But you know what? That pet owner will pay more all day long because it's a family member. Yeah. So we think we're really revolutionizing the way people think about pets in general. And assistance animals, which you need to talk about, if someone has an assistance animal or claims they have an assistance animal, we have a legal team and we review 
every assistance animal application on a case-by-case -case basis. Now we don't score, no score is given at all to assistance animals, because that's irrelevant. But we are making sure that they meet HUD, the Fair Housing Act's test of reasonable, credible, and reliable. And we even ask the, the two permissible questions which are allowed. We collect the documentation. We're doing all of that heavy lifting for housing providers and they don't have to do it. They don't have to make their, have their teams do it and they don't have to pay for it, it's free. Right? There's no there's no downside for a housing provider to use it. Now is somebody regulating this website or I mean is this like a I mean we have a yeah, we have a team, so I mean okay. but I mean yeah. like who like like you said it has to go through HUD or whatever. Well no, HUD's just an agency that sets policy. Uh, yeah. But we have a legal team that works off of okay. HUD's policy to make sure that gotcha. the applications gotcha. fit. The point is we have the legal team and the expertise to be looking at these, which is much better than most housing providers have. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and our goal is to really help people who have assistance animals because they're legitimate. But there's a fair number of people that are coming through the system that are trying to use that to prevent paying a pet deposit or pet rent, yeah. right? And we're just trying to make sure that's legitimate. We're not here to harm anybody. In fact, if people who have legitimate assistance animals are telling us they love the product because they feel like they're getting a bad rap because people are coming to an apartment or a community and going, oh, no pit bulls allowed. They run out and get a emotional support certificate on their pit bull and try to get through the system. And we are trying to provide some bookends to try to help stop that from happening. Yeah. So what started this fire for you, man? Like what? It's a top, I'll tell you why. If you go to any housing industry across the country for any sector, student, retirement, vacation, um, apartment, single family, dealing with pets and assistance animals are high up the list. Pets, because pets are a way of life. Over 58% of applicants nowadays have a pet. So if you have a no pet policy, 58% or 58 out of 100 applicants looking at your properties are going to go somewhere else. Yeah. So you almost have to embrace pets. But the question is, how do you embrace them better to protect your liability and to generate more revenue to cover your risk? That's the pet side. On assistance animal side, we're, people in property management and housing, they're not fair housing experts, right? They just manage properties. They're being forced to make decisions on paperwork that they don't know if it's legitimate or not. We're trying to take that off their plate by you know, doing it for them, and, and it's amazing. This week alone, I, I can't tell you the number of firms, I send out these wins to firms showing them where an assistance animal came through, and when our reviewers asked for more information, they decided to convert it to a pet. What does that tell you, Chris? Yeah, it tells, that tells you that they're going. It's like Waze. If any of your listeners use Waze, <laughs> yeah. and there's a cop reported ahead, <laughs> right. what do you do? You slow down. You slow down. So these <clears throat> folks are going, wait a minute, someone's actually looking at this closely. Maybe I'll just convert it to a pet. And right now, based on the data, which I measured this week again, we're always measuring our data, out of all the assistance animal applications we've processed since launching the tool, 32%, these are 31 or 32%, came to the tool. And when our legal team asked for more information, Chris, they have disappeared. Yeah. What does that tell you? It tells you that they've either found some other sucker to take their paperwork, or maybe they just didn't think it was worth their time to go through the process, or perhaps it wasn't legitimate. Either, any of those cases though, what happens is we have pretty much saved, in my opinion, a, a, a someone's claim of an animal going into a property. Yeah. So it, it really is working and uh, we're delighted to be doing it. So you saw this as a need as a it's property a, manager. Yeah, for, and then for, the, man, for right? the housing industry I'm in general. Start an app? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna start, that's right. And it's, and it's, uh, it's easy. It's, and what we do is we issue, every company that signs up with us gets a unique pet screening um, link because that's how we keep all the applications you know, in their right swim lanes. So if someone comes and signs up for an account, they're gonna get their own unique link for pet screening. And they'll give that link to anyone that has a pet 
or an assistance animal. It's one link for everything. And when someone clicks on that link, it goes to pet screening, they fill it out, and when they submit it, the results go back to the company, right, that matches the link. So every company that's using our product has their own unique link. They use that link on their website, they put it in their applications, they give it to their pet owners, and they make them fill it out. And not only is it free, but we make our revenue because we charge an application fee of the pet owner. And it's $20 if they have one pet, it's $15 if they have an additional pet. We actually do a revenue share back to the housing providers. So not only is it free, but we actually pay a rebate back to the housing provider for every fee that we collect. So that money is going to these firms, and I like to call office fund money. We have some apartment communities that are taking the money and throwing parties for pet owners. We have some people that are taking their staff out to nice dinners. The point is, you're getting a product that reduces your liability, takes a headache off your plate, helps you make more revenue because you now can use the scoring to drive more pet rent if it's appropriate, and you're gonna get a rebate for every application that we process. I mean, it really is almost too good to be true, but it's it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, how did you get the ball started in terms of making this happen? You have this great idea. Yeah, yeah. Step one, as someone who says, dude, I'm gonna launch this website or I'm gonna launch this app, I mean, Walk us through that. I mean, did, yeah. you know how to, did you know how to do that? I don't. No, I mean, I sold software at IBM, but I don't. I'm not a software guy. But I'm. I do. I did know that you needed to go partner and find a good developer. So software, I will tell you, is a expensive venture. Um, I I have not used any outside funding. This has all been my own nickel. Um, it's a lot of money to do this. But in the world of software, if you if you do a good product, the, the dividends could be large. Right? Yeah. I thought this was a really good idea. I knew it would help my company. And I knew if it helped my company, it would probably help all my colleagues. And I knew if it helped my colleagues, it would help anybody in housing. That was my premise. And it's really proving to be that way. Uh, but I went and found a development company who does the coding. And you need to find a development company that understands business too. Because if, if a development company doesn't understand what the value proposition is, then how are they going to know what they're developing? And a lot of times they have to make instant decisions when they're coding so if they don't have a good understanding of what you're trying to do, how are they ever going to get it right? So we used a, a company called Cloud Castle, and I do want to give a shout out to them called Cloud Castle. And they have a process where they have a business sort of consultant in between you and the developers, and the business consultant knows how to code too, and that is how we kept this project on track. We developed this product in six months and had it launched in month seven. We tested it for three months, so by month 10, we started generating revenue. Um, and we are in month, let's see, we are in month 13 right now, and um, it's amazing how many people have signed up and using it. It really is. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. Is this your, your full-time gig Well, now? I mean, it is. I, I mean, it is my, I mean, obviously, we are adjourned from session until January 10th, um, so I do have a little bit of time on my hands right now. Um, I go back in session in January, but then we'll adjourn again, and we'll go back full-time in April. So, um, but it is my full-time gig. My other company, Park Avenue, as I told you before, it runs without me. Yeah. Although I'm still, my office with pet screening is literally across the parking lot in a separate building from my other business. So I'm, I'm within, a, uh, I'm within a, a putt away from the other building. But um, it is my full-time thing. I'm enjoying it. This is entrepreneurship at its best. Yeah. Um, and, and really, we're just opening the eyes uh, to a lot of people who, who don't even know this exists, right? Because we're, we're the only game in town. You know? What are you doing to do that? I mean, what, how are you going to grow this thing? How are you going to scale this thing? Yeah, well, I mean, we're trying to put as much through the funnel as we can. We've hired some uh, independent contract salespeople. We're going to uh, conferences in the industry. Um, I, I just did a podcast with the student housing uh, industry um, this week. 
Uh, in fact, earlier this morning. Um, so we're just reaching out, making connections, and then there's a word of mouth thing going on. I mean, people are so excited about the results that, like I saw a post on Facebook the other night where someone was having a problem, and I think it was six people, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, six people, different companies weighed in and said, you need to go to pet screening. So finally this lady says, look, I posted this and like six different people say go to pet screening. So she signed up <laughs> yeah. and she just had her first experience and I talked to her yesterday and she she's loving it. So I mean, so word of mouth. she a property manager? She is she... a property manager and we have customers from Hawaii. I mean, we're they're everywhere. I think I, don't, I think she's in Idaho. Um, you know, that's the beauty is this, this is yeah. a federal issue for assistance animals, which is a big pain point. So we can service anybody in any state. And of course, pets, a, a, a Doberman pincher in Arizona is a Doberman pincher in North Carolina or a Shih Tzu or a cat for that matter. So the product works everywhere. And we've had some interest from Australian investors, not investors in our product, not talking about investors in the housing that would like to see if we could launch this in Australia. There's a huge investor constituency in housing in Australia. I don't know anything about Australia. Uh, uh, other than you know, just the obvious uh, that we see on TV, et cetera. I'd love to go, but we might be looking at how can we launch this out in Australia as well because there seems to be a big need for it. Not for the assistance animal part, but just for the pet piece. So this is, help me out with the timeline just a little bit. Mm -hmm. This is less than a year It's old. been right at a year. We started it in, six, the, uh, I really had the idea in early 16. Um, we started developing it at the, in the fall of 16. Uh, we developed it through first quarter of 17, we beta tested it in second quarter of 17, and we launched it at the beginning of third quarter of 17, and now we're coming up on the end of third quarter. What were some of the lessons that, that you felt that you learned along the way that helped you launch this thing? Or do you feel like it's been a totally new experience? Well, so in all fairness, uh, Park Avenue, we developed our own software years ago where I okay. used a development company. And it's a software product that really changed our business, and we still use it to this day. And a part of me at the time thought perhaps I could take that and use it for other firms. Through that development process, I went through two developers, spent a fortune on it. Now, it has saved my company a fortune, so it's been a good wash. But I learned a lot of lessons through that process that I applied this time. This time has been a wonderful, smooth exercise. But it's only because I've done something like this in the past for my own company. It'd be like building your own technology platform to service your company. That's what we did. Uh, but I had to go through two development companies, and it's like hiring a builder to finish another builder's work. Yeah. It's very expensive to do that, right? I mean, because they don't know where they left off. Development is very similar. It depends on what platform they developed it. Was it open source? How did the architecture look like? And every developer has a different way of doing it. So it was a costly lesson to learn, but I had no choice. I had to finish the product. I'm glad I did because we still use it to this day. But that, I learned lessons out of that that I applied to this experience that just really made it a much different experience. Awesome. Pet screening. Yeah. Keep your ears open yeah, for it's that. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I think we're on to something big and we're having a lot of fun. And uh, any of your listeners, if you manage a house, if you have a vacation home, there is no reason not to use this product. No awesome. joke, because it will, it will help you. It'll, it'll change the way you think about pets. All right, John. Well, take us home, man. T spend the last minute. Just kind of remind us who you are, what you do, yeah. and how people can get in touch with you, and how they can get involved with yeah. the pet screen. So a, c a couple things. One, um, happy holidays to all your listeners. Uh, congratulations to you and your brother for having a successful firm. I did some research on you guys, and it looks oh, like you're man. off to the races. This podcast you do is a great community outreach and a great way to connect the community with other people while also driving your own business. Yeah, so I think well, that's I appreciate brilliant. That. Thank Absolutely. You. Um, for your listeners, the only thing I'll tell you is this. This is not a hard sell. This sells itself. We are here to educate and help. If so, any of your listeners want to check it out and learn more because they think it's a fit for them, if they email info at petscreening.com, that's info at petscreening.com, and if in the um, subject line they just put you know Jones team, 
or Chris Jones, uh -huh. or I don't what, what you'd like, then we'll know it came from the show. And what we'll do is if they sign up for the product, I will pay the first, and you really only need one hour, one hour of IT integration services where we would take the pet screening link and make sure we get it integrated with, with their process of how they process applications. Because obviously they're taking applications from people that have pets, and we want to make sure that's done right. And I'll use an IT company to help them get it launched the right way. And I have to pay for that. Like it's not me doing it; it's another company. Uh, but I'm happy to cover the cost on it, just as a benefit to your to your awesome. uh, listeners. We'll call it uh, the Jones Zone. There you go. Uh, that's subject. right. We'll call we'll it. Do that. That, that's your Jonesy for the day. There you go, John. Good seeing you, man. Merry pleasure Christmas. to have you, you, man. Good stuff. Thanks so much for listening to the Jones Zone podcast with Chris and Brian Jones. We'll catch you on the next episode.